0: Yeah, I mean, I love the theme of this weekend, the heart of the father. And when I think about the heart of the father, I think about, I'm not only happy about what and excited about what he's done in me and for me, but I'm especially excited about what we've done together. One of the pictures that was taken years ago of my firstborn, he was about three or four years old. I was working on a plumbing project under the kitchen sink. Any plumbers in here? It's not my favorite thing to do, but my torso is inside the cabinet, and I've got my hands up, and I'm working on the plumbing project, right? And my little three-year-old comes along, and he says, Daddy, I want to help you. And I said, okay, son. And I gave him a rubber wrench, and he's under the cabinet next to me. And the picture was taken... Father and son, we were even dressed alike that day. We both had on white t-shirts. That's the heart of Papa. The heart of Papa is not just, let me just do everything for you, because it's not my heart to just do everything for my kids. The heart of Daddy is not just to say, you do it alone either, son. And when we got done with that project, I said, Tyler, great job. You fixed the sink. In his little heart, he thought he did it himself, but really it was me that did it. It was Papa that did it. And so when we're working with Daddy, you know, and we're having fun with him and we're doing things together, but really Papa's the one behind everything we do. He is. And so I'm grateful for the things that we get to do together. I don't think there's any real substitute for working with him and walking with him and watching him operate in the unforced rhythms of grace, he's perfect at it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, we find these words, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I don't know if you caught what I just did, but I took a breath before verse 8, and I didn't breathe again until after verse 10. And I believe that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did, because he wrote this all from the same heart, from the same breath. The problem is sometimes we don't know what to do with that verse 10. The celebratory verses are verse 8 and 9. We know what to do with those. We shout about those verses, but verse 10, it has that word in there, workmanship, and then unto good works, and so what do you do with that? I mean, what were we saved for? We're saved so that we can have a relationship with Papa. He says, for by grace are you saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's the loving kindness of God. Because of the loving kindness of God, we are saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from the penalty of sin. So by the loving kindness of God, we are saved from the penalty of sin, Through faith. Where did we get this faith? We got this faith from Papa. I mean, we can't even take credit for the faith. And then he says, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So that no man can boast. What's the gift of God? Well, grace or his loving kindness, that's the gift of God. Salvation, that's the gift of God. Faith, that's the gift of God. And the fact that you couldn't help. That's a gift all by itself. It is a gift that we couldn't help. I'm not preaching a message that says we're saved by anything we've done. It says, we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So when I look at verse 10, I think it's a pivotal verse because there's an ocean of people out there that have never been introduced to the gospel that's found in verse eight and nine. They have never heard this gospel. And then the people that have heard this gospel found in verse eight and nine, they don't know what to do at verse 10. It's like the church sometimes loses its breath. They don't know what to do with verse 10. And the truth of the matter is, is the only way people are going to see God and see Christ is in you. They're gonna see Christ in you, the hope of glory even though it took me a lot of years to come to Christ, I think back at the people I saw Christ in, I saw God in. And that does something to you. It gets indelibly inscribed in your heart. So they see Papa through us, and that's why Jesus would say to Philip, he said, Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, we look just alike. We sound alike, we talk alike, we walk the same. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen my daddy. We have to see it that way for us too, that when people see us, that they can get a glimpse of the Father. They can see his heart. You know, I was ministering to a fellow a while back, and this gospel of grace was already working on the inside of me. This unconditional love was running rampant in my heart. And I was ministering these verses about his love. And he stopped me and he said, he looked at me, he said, you have the kindest eyes. And I said, what? I mean, it seems so random. Uh, You've got the kindest eyes. And I know he wasn't talking about the shape of my eyes or the color of my eyes. But what he was talking about was I wasn't judging him. I was pouring out pure love into his heart. I was telling him about God. The father's love for him and this grace. And I was just pouring it into him. I didn't care about his past. And he comes off with, you have the kindest eyes. You saw love coming through them. He saw daddy's heart coming through him. So when we see we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, workmanship just means we're his handiwork. That daddy said, man, no two of you are going to look exactly the same, unless you're twins, of course, but you're not the same. Nobody's the same. We're his handiwork. It literally means that which is made. We're his workmanship. It literally means that which is made. So it doesn't matter if we were made in a carpenter's shop or we were made in heaven. Friends, we were made the righteousness of God in Christ, it says right here. So good works are not the cause of our salvation, but they are the consequence of our salvation. They're the consequence of what the Father is doing in you. I wouldn't want to be on an island by myself. I've got too much in my heart to tell people. In other words, say it like this, good works is not what justifies a man, but a justified man works. Do you hear that? It's not what justifies us, but justified people work. Listen, there is no difference in my workload from before I came into the revelation of grace, and now, if anything, I work harder and longer. The motivation might be a little bit different, and the message is radically different. I still work for him and and love doing it. Why? Because the spring of living water lives on the inside of me. He lives on the inside of me. And so what I really want you to see through the message this evening is what love looks like in action. Ministry opportunities will find you. You don't have to go looking for ministry opportunities, they will find you. People may not know this, but Valerie at one time, my wife, suffered from a debilitating disease called fibromyalgia. She would come home at five o'clock at night and by six o'clock she was soup. She was ready for bed. And she was on several medications, muscle relaxers. But Valerie was totally healed from fibromyalgia about five years or six years ago. Totally and completely healed. You say, wait a minute, Mark, that's an autoimmune disease. That can't happen. Not with man. She didn't go to man. She went to God. She went to Daddy with this thing. And Daddy healed her completely and totally. So when she suffered, to be honest with you, I suffered. Not in the sense I felt her pain, but it's hard to watch somebody suffer. And so occasionally what I would do is I would go to the pharmacy to get her medication. I went to the pharmacy, and there was this one particular pharmacy that I would go to. The pharmacist, if he had time, he would come out and talk to you. He smiled a lot. He was a very gentle man. You couldn't wipe the smile off of his face. And he came out one night. We made small talk for a little bit. And I said to him, I said, I have a question for you. And he said, Yeah, what's your question? I mean, his face got even brighter with his smile. I said, if Jesus Christ was standing outside your front door and he healed everybody on the way in, I said, would he be invited back or would he be asked to leave? And it was like an eraser fell out of heaven, took his smile right off his face. And he said to me, he said, I would say to him, get out of here and go back to heaven. You are bad for business. That's what he said. There was like this guttural sound when he said it. And I just looked at him, I don't, listen, I must have lost my doggy brain when I asked the question. I didn't plan on asking it. It just came up. Maybe I should have just been quiet, but I had to ask the question. He said, that's what I would say. And I just looked at him and I said, that's what I thought. You see, man makes a fortune off of sickness and disease, but I'm telling you, God wants you well. Daddy wants you well. He wants you well. And I don't know of anything that promotes wellness like the gospel of grace. See, it starts on the inside. It's inside the spirit man. And this wellness works out into your soul. It works out into your body so that the whole man can be whole. Let me say it like this. Information without a revelation is like medication. It will make you better, but it will never make you whole. And so we're not looking for information because, listen, the encyclopedia, the dictionary has information, but it has no heart. And it's the heart, seeing Jesus' heart, seeing Papa's heart, that's what makes us well. Wellness, when it starts working inside of us, what you're going to see manifest are at least a couple of things. You're going to see freedom and you're going to see confidence. You're going to be free. You're going to be confident. Not arrogant, but confident. So, I want to minister for a few minutes this evening through a message I'm calling Daddy's Heart. Daddy's Heart. I don't know what that does for you, but I'm telling you, it puts a tickle on the inside of me. I can't locate, man. It really does. It does. Rather than give you an overdose of medication or information, I want us to look really kind of at a scrapbook, a collage of gentle expressions of daddy's heart, both through the word and through my own personal life. I have a grandson. His name is Keith. We call him Tato, because when he was young, he looked like a potato. He did. He was just a round little thing. Yeah, I love Tato. He calls me Bumpa. Do we have any Bumpas in here? See, I knew that. No Bumpas. I call him Tato, he calls me Bumpa. When he was about four or five years old, his mother, which is our daughter Sarah, and his daddy took him to his first circus. Oh, he was so excited to be going to that thing. So he went to his first circus, and Valerie and I stayed behind to take care of his two younger siblings. And it was a big night. It was a late night. They got home 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and Tato come... Flying in the door, he was the first one in there. I'm standing in the kitchen, and he is swinging a laser sword at me that he got as a souvenir from the circus. And in between swings, I grabbed that little boy, and I just hugged my little grandson, Tato. And I said to him, I said, I said, Tato, did you enjoy the circus? And he said, y- yep. I said, what was your favorite part? And he said, the horses. I am like, The horses? I mean, you can see them anywhere. He said, the horses. I said, really? He said, yep. I'm trying to think, well, what's so impressive about horses at a circus, or what do they do? Well, I said, did they do tricks? And he had this scowl that came over his face. He said, no. I said, well, did they jump over things? He said, no. I said, well, what did they do? He said, they ran around in a big circle. And I said, that's it? He said, yeah. Now I'm racking my brain to figure out what else do they do at circuses? And this is the way I said it. I said, did they say, ladies and gentlemen? And he said, no, silly bumper, horses can't talk. (laughs) Oh. It was a Kodak moment for sure. And as I thought about that snapshot in time, with my grandson, I always used to think about that story, and I used to think, Tato took what I was saying totally out of context. But it wasn't until recently that I had to come to the realization, no, Tato didn't take anything out of context. It was me that set him up for that silly and yet innocent response. You see, think about what was said. He said he loved the horses. I said, did they, I used that pronoun, they, did they do tricks? No. Did they jump over things. No. What did they do? They ran around in a big circle. Then I move without another thought to, did they say, ladies and gentlemen? And so his mind is still stuck on a circus horse. I've moved on. None of you thought I was talking about the horse, did you? Not a one. But his mind was still stuck there. So that story is important to me because I believe what it does is it underscores just how easy it is for people to miscommunicate what they're trying to say, miscommunicate their feelings, their emotions, their intent, if you will, and even how easy it is for people to misinterpret what you're saying. And ministers often misrepresent daddy's heart in What it does is it sets people up for a lifetime of guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. And when you have to deal with these things as pastors all week long, it's heartbreaking sometimes. So whether you're standing in the kitchen with one five-year-old or you're standing behind a pulpit and talking to the multitudes as ministers of the gospel, if we want to see people experience this wellness I was talking about, this freedom, this confidence, then we must clearly articulate the difference between the circus horse and the ringmaster, the old covenant from the new, the law from grace. And I don't know of two people that do that better than Peter Swart and Paul White. I really don't. So there are times when daddy's heart is portrayed to look like the first 40 minutes of that 1966 Christmas classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Think about this for a second. This Grinch is continuously annoyed at the people of Whoville because they're happy. They're happy. It's not because of their stuff. They're joyful. They're happy. He just can't stand it anymore. So he devises his plan that he will go down and steal their stuff because he thinks it's their stuff that's making them happy. And it sounds wild, but this is the way I grew up in the church. I grew up that God wanted my stuff. And, and he wanted me unhappy and, and he was going to come and take my stuff and take it away from me. And I, and I just I grew up that way and, and so I didn't want to know a God that was into getting my stuff. So he does that. He takes all the stuff, but when he's climbing back up his mountain again, he hears those little folks from Whoville come out. and even though all their stuff is gone, they're still singing with joy and enthusiasm. And he's like, what is this? What is this? And what happens is his heart grows three times bigger. And the springs go off in his heart. And I want you to know something, friends. Daddy's heart did not grow three times bigger at the cross. His heart's always been large. We think somehow that the cross gave daddy this, this enormous heart. No, his heart's always been big. His heart was just hidden from us under an old covenant. Now it's been revealed and it's beautiful and it's passionate. And I'm passionate about his heart. The revelation of daddy's enlarged heart and his unconditional love and acceptance is what first gave me the confidence to dismount that circus horse of religion and walk away free. I mean, like a bridge to nowhere, man, so is that circus horse of performance. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. In 2004, Papa spoke to my heart and said, I want you to step down from the ministry that that you're pastoring. And uh, it was a hard decision. It was something we thought about, but we knew daddy's voice and we did it. He said, I want you to make your ministry, obviously you're two young boys. And and that's what I did for uh, the next many, many, many years. And I've kind of lost track of the timeline here, but I think it was about five years it's about 2009 somewhere there. I'm hearing Valerie say, "Who is this guy? What what is this guy saying? What, what is he doing? Who is this guy?" And I walk around the corner, and there on the television is Paul White. And I'm like, "What is this message?" We said to each other, "I said if this is true, then we have to change everything. We have to change the way we think, the way we pray, the way we." Man, I mean, everything, the way we preach, the way we teach. Praying was a big one that that had to change. And so this message began to drip in my heart. And then a few years later, we would go to Canada to a conference that Peter was holding there. And so Peter was there and Kathy was there. Paul White was there. Connie Witter, Jeremiah Johnson, Nicholas, you were there, you were ministering. And so if you're trying to put this puzzle together, maybe how I know these guys, this is where it began for us. And so about 5 years into this marination just me marinating in the love of the father one thing i found out is if you're not working if you're not always busy writing sermons if you're not always busy preaching sometimes just taking it in for a while and listening to the voice of papa it begins to do something to you and then about 2009 now my boys have grown up they're teenagers they're sleeping in on saturday mornings and so My Saturday mornings are free now, and I decided I would go serve at this place called the Life Center. It was an outreach missions program that we had through the church we were attending. The first job they put me on was just carrying groceries to people's cars. And I found out that's a wonderful thing to do. Just carry their groceries, you minister to them, you pray for them. But within the first or second week they said, at noon, I want you to lock the door so nobody else gets in. And I said, okay, no problem. So we locked the door. Well, when somebody went out, a young lady walked in and she walked right up to me and she said, I'm here to get some food. I said, ma'am, we're closed. She said, well, why are all these people in here? I said, well, they came in before noon. We closed the doors at noon and there was a tug of war going on in my heart. I'm telling you, it was a tug of war. She said, well, what about me and my babies? How are we going to eat? And I said, I'm sorry, we're we're closed. You got to get here before noon. At the same time, Paul's wrecking me with this theology of daddy's love, and that's whispering in my heart too. And so I did the religious thing. I said, "Let me pray for you, God, please." So, oh, man, I wouldn't even want that prayer recorded. I, so I prayed for you know. And then when I was done, I had the audacity to say, you know what? God loves you and he cares about you. And I meant it. I really did mean it. Come on, hear my heart on this thing. I said, God loves you and he really does care about you. And he's going to take care of you and your babies. He's going to feed you. And she looked at me. She says, does he love me enough to feed me today? Does he love me enough to feed me today? And I said, Yes, he loves you enough to feed you today. Come on in. Take everything you want. Man, I'm telling you, that was a defining moment in my life right there, friends. I colored outside of some paradigms there. I colored outside of some framework right there. But I knew this was daddy's heart. She came and I had more opportunity to minister to her. And I think that was the start of it. I was going, I know you you need to be compliant. I know you need to follow rules and laws. But do you hear this woman? What am I going to say to that? No, he doesn't love you enough to feed you today. No, today is the day of salvation, but not today of bread. No, yes, he loves you enough to feed you today. And we fed her mercy, not judgment. Love, not laws. Relationship, not rules grace not grind do you see the difference so within a few months i began to do most of the devotions because how many of you know when you're waiting on unthankful people uh, you know a lot of people are very unthankful you can give them a lot of stuff and they, they won't even say thank you you try to shake their hand they just you know it's okay it, you still just love people where they're at And so I began to do the devotions, and what we would do, we'd have anywhere from 20 to 50 volunteers that would gather together in the hallway, and and I would just put the love of God, I was taking what Paul was putting in my heart, and I would just put it back in people's hearts, you know, and it was setting them free, and preparing them to meet people when we opened the doors, we're we're talking up to 500 families that you're waiting on in four hours, it was a big deal. And so I would do the devotions, and I did those for several years. And one time before we left and and planted a church, I had a friend come up to me and he said, he said, you know, Pastor Mark, we really love what you do here, you know, because I was a pastor there ministering to people. He said, we love what you do. He said, can you hear a butt coming? Oh man, God deliver our butts, man. (laughs) Please. I mean, can you hear it coming? Anytime anybody starts doing that to you, it's coming, brother. I'm just waiting. Okay. I know there's a butt in here somewhere. And he went on for a while and he said, but, you know, he said, we love what you do. He said, but, you know, you're always preaching about the love of God. You're always preaching about the grace of God. He said, you know, there are other things to preach about. I said, oh, yeah, like what? He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, neither do I. I. I just don't. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying topically there's not other things to preach about. But if what we're ministering about, whether it's one on one or in front of a group, if the roots don't go down and get established in the seedbed of love, it doesn't make any difference. It just doesn't make any difference. Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19. I love these scriptures for this reason. Now, when you see those words for this reason, how many of you know those words are pointing to something, right? Well, if we were able to back it up to verse 12, you would see it's pointing to the freedom and the confidence we have in God. And he's literally saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. What kind of faith am I talking about? I'm talking about Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, faith, the faith that saves us. And I pray that you, I love this, you being rooted and established in love. Come on, Todd, man. You're a love machine, brother. Being rooted and established. That guy is full of love, man. Being rooted and established in love. Look at what he says, may have power. You don't have any power if you don't love. There's no power apart from love. But with love, I mean, you can do so much. You can see Papa do so much. He said, you being rooted and established in love may have power. Friends, without love, you are a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. That's all you are, without love. Where does this kind of power come from? Where does this kind of love come from? Friend, it comes from Daddy's heart. Where else would we get this kind of love? Where else would we get this kind of power? It's stored up in Papa and it pours out of his heart. He said, may have power together with all the Lord's people, To grasp. Oh, how wide. Amen. And long and high and deep. Notice it doesn't say round. It just says long and high and wide and deep. Daddy deliver us from circles. You know, I know even to this day we say grace circles. And I say that once in a while too. And every time I say it, I go, that just doesn't sound right. That doesn't feel right. Because anytime you have a circle, you have things that are inside it and outside of it. Right? Do you see that? And so I don't know. We're trying to find better things to maybe call it, but grace, ministries, whatever it means. At our church, we have four words that describe our ministry, spirit-filled, finished work. That's what we say. We are spirit-filled, finished work. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and know this love. He said that surpasses knowledge. The same knowledge I was telling you about in the beginning, that information without revelation just a medication is all this that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I was walking in the Life Center parking lot one morning, and there were three ladies that were walking by, and they thought it was stick a pen in pastor day, because they saw me, and they said, come here. And I went over there, and they were holding their bags of groceries, and they said, we didn't get no bread. And I said, well, what's that? They had the um, what do they call it the Italian bread sticking up out of there, the one big long loaves like that. I said, Well, what's that? They said, Well, that, that ain't bread. We need bread for our kids for sandwiches. And the pragmatic side of me is kind of kicked in. I said, Well, you just take that bread out and you get you like a serrated knife, you know, and you start cutting. I'm being serious with them. Get a serrated knife and just cut it in little strips. How I many you know that didn't go over very well? That did not go over well at all. So I did the next best thing. Honestly, I just reached out and grabbed all three of them around the head and pulled them up this close. I've got these three ladies like this. We can smell each other's breath. And I went into prayer. I said, Father, these ladies ain't got any bread. Now, I don't know where you're going to get bread at, Daddy, but they need bread. And I saw you do it in the wilderness. You rained down bread from heaven. So however you do it, you just do it, Daddy. In Jesus' name, amen. And when I opened my eyes, that was a 20-second prayer. There was a man standing right next to me looked like the Wonder Bread man. He had three loaves of bread standing there. They were as shocked as I was, Brother Todd. I went, where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? I mean, this is a big parking lot. You couldn't have ran to me in 20 seconds. It was amazing. They were just blown away. I heard daddy say, this is my heart. This is daddy's heart. It is. it is. See, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 got married with Ephesians two ten that day. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk. What if I had just walked away from that opportunity and said, you know, there ain't much I can do, you know. I'll bet you those ladies are talking about it to this day. I'll bet you, man, they get around playing cards, man. Man, we got to tell you what happened one day. Talking about that. It was amazing that daddy did something like that. You know, the Bible says, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured back to you again. That's what it says. As we give, it comes back to us. And that's all it was doing, just giving psalm 68 verses 10 and 11 say these things you god look at that prepared your goodness for the poor that's what he did in the parking lot he prepared his goodness for the poor and then it says the lord gave the word great was the company of those that published it friends at one life church you are in great company bread is being broken And the word of grace is being published. I'm a fan of this ministry. I listen to every sermon that comes out of here, and I rejoice with you. I do. I feel like I'm here. I wanted you to know something. Your poverty mindset days are history. They have been sent away like a retired circus horse, friends. It's gone, man. I'm serious. Your, your, Your pastors, Peter and Kathy, swore it, man. They're leading you. They're leading you one by song and one by sermon, but they're leading you into green pastures and beside still waters. The psalm I really do love is Psalm 23, and I've ministered so many times on this particular psalm. Psalm 23, let's look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That word want right there comes from the Hebrew word choser. It literally means look it up in your concordance, to fail, to fail. So it's literally translating as the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not fail. Or it's saying I cannot fail because the Lord is my shepherd. So we fail at times, we fail each other at times, we fail our employers at times, we fail at times in a sense, but we're never a failure in Christ. In Christ, there's wellness. In Christ, there's fullness. In Christ, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. In Christ, there's freedom and confidence. I'm not trusting in me, and I'm not trusting in a circus horse. I'm not trusting in duct tape to hold me together. I'm trusting in the unchangeable truth that I have been rooted and I have been established in the love of of a good, good father. We sing about it tonight. I've been established in the love of a good, good father. I'm trusting in a love that's wide and high and deep and long. I'm talking about the love that flows from gentle expressions from daddy's heart. I'm trusting in Jesus' finished work to keep me from failing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fail. Now listen to this. This is the way the Holy Spirit communicated it to me. He said it this way. He said, failing and then believing that you have separated yourself from daddy's heart is as silly as taking a sledgehammer and smashing your computer and thinking that you have destroyed your email account. Your email account is not stored in your computer. It's only access from your computer. And so we do things that maybe destroy Portions of our life for a time, but I'm telling you, we have an inheritance according to the Word of God that is stored up for us in heaven, and it cannot be destroyed. It's incorruptible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, these words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth and to live in hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or a faith, an inheritance that will never take the smile off of your face. It says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, faith. And you are shielded by God's power. That means you are rooted and established in the power of God, and you are shielded in that power and that love until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. My wife and I, last March, we went to Washington, D.C., Never been there before, but it was a joy. And we saw all the big things to see, the museums, you know, the monuments. And then I said to Valerie, I said on the way back, I said, what was your favorite part? And she said, it was Arlington Cemetery. And I said, that was my favorite part too. Marker after marker, row after row of hundreds of thousands of men and women that gave their lives for this great country. Their bodies have failed them. That's where they're at. But they have not failed their country. And our God will never fail us. We were at this place within the Arlington Cemetery called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There's just something about that place. There is that soldier who takes 21 steps, clicks his heels together and turns east. Pauses for 21 seconds, turns and faces north, 21 more seconds. It's symbolic of the 21-gun salute. It's just the highest honor. And the fact that it's been guarded by a man for, I don't know the exact number of years, like 80 years without taking a minute off. I find that phenomenal no matter what the weather was. And here we are as ministers of the gospel of grace. We walk across stages and platforms and living rooms and dining rooms. and Our message is, there's a daddy that loves you. He's crazy about you. 21 years ago, I responded to the ministry. I started preaching 21 years ago, and I preached my first message on Father's Day. It was in June of 1998. And since that day, I love telling people about daddy's love. Peter and Kathy are in One Life Church. They're doing that. Daily, Paul, you do it on the road. You guys do it so well. I had a brother in Christ come to me at the Life Center one day. and He said to me, I've got a brother. He's not saved. I'm my brother's keeper. I want to see him saved. He said, but he's not going to come down here. I said, well, let's pray about that. And so we began to pray about it. It didn't happen right away. He said, he's a tough cookie, man. He's a tough nut to crack. I said, okay, that's all right. So it was about a year later, and he came up to me one morning He said, my brother's here. I said, that's great. After the devotion that morning, I walked over to his brother and I said, can I visit with you for a moment over here in the prayer room? He said, look here, preacher. He said, I didn't come down here to be preached at. He said, I came down here to work in the kitchen. That's it. I said, not a problem. But daddy wouldn't leave my heart alone. I forgot about it for a while, but late that morning, I heard Papa say, go get him. I said, honestly, I'm in the prayer room. I said, you heard him, Daddy. He doesn't want to be talked to. Go get him, son. So I walked down to the kitchen. I said, I said, I still want to pray for you. Will you come down here? He came down there and he sat down across from me. And I began to just minister grace to him and love to him. No condemnation. And he said, listen to me. He said, you don't understand. He said, I'm not making any decisions today to do anything. I said, I'm not asking you to. He said, God wouldn't have me. I said, yes, he would. He said, I killed a man. I just got out of prison not too long ago. He said, I killed a man. And without even thinking, I said, so did I. He said, you did? I said, yeah. And I just kept giving more grace. I wasn't talking about physically killing a man, but the Bible says if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. That's what I was thinking. And within three minutes, he had his hands, his big old hands in my hands, saying, come into my heart, Jesus, or praying the prayer to ask Jesus to be his Lord. You see, all we have to do is listen to Daddy's heart. He's always communicating. We didn't get saved not to communicate his heart. You know what? Listen, that guy wasn't looking for information. He was looking for a revelation of daddy's heart that would lead to transformation in his life. Guess where I saw him the next day, Brother Todd? He was at church. Man, we were at a church that seated a thousand people. And I looked at my wife and said, there he is. He's going up to the altar. There's a life that's been changed, life that's been impacted. What if I had just said, no, daddy, you heard what he said. I would have missed that opportunity. So let me ask a couple of obvious questions. Why is there so much variableness? In God, the Bible says there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Why does one person say to Jesus to come and the other one says to go back? Why does one person say, Daddy's got a small heart? Another person says, No, his heart's large. Why does one person say that? Good works is the cause of your salvation. And another one says, no, it's not the cause, friends. It's the consequence. As I was thinking about those questions this week, what the Lord did is he took me back to my childhood, to the neighborhood we lived in. And everybody in the L shape that we lived in had this salvage yard in their backyard. We had terrible backyards. We couldn't even play in our backyards. They were just terrible. Junk was falling off in our yard. So we would go down the street and we would play in the neighbor's yard, which was about maybe twice the size of this room. Not a very big field, okay? We would play football there, we would play baseball there, but we were just kids. And we couldn't hit the ball that way because it would go over in the junkyard. You wouldn't get your ball back. So if you hit it this way, it would go out in the street. So you had to use tennis balls, so you would hit cars. But if you hit it out in the street, it was considered a home run. You couldn't stand across the street and field balls. So now you put five or six young kids in a field only this big... You know, when it got hit up in the air, you didn't have to walk very far. You just walk and get that ball, right? Fast forward, now I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm telling a friend, he said, do you play baseball? I said, yeah, I can play baseball. I said, I run like a deer. I can throw like crazy. I'm a pretty good batter, too. He said, how would you like to be on the team? I said, I'd love that. And he got the outfit for me, man. I, I felt like a big shot, man. I had my cap on. I did, I did. Yellow and white, man. I forgot what it said on there. But I had my cleats on. And I was ready, man, to play baseball. And I stood up to the plate, man, and I and I did some things. And all of a sudden, that ball was in the catcher's mitt. And I'm like, where did that go? I hadn't played ball in a while. That ball came right by me. It was right in the catcher's mitt. And he just made me look bad. And I thought, well, whew. I'll go out in the field, and I'll field for a little while, and they put me out in right field. And I'll never forget this. I mean, a prodigious blast came from a batter's bat there, and it was going up in the air. And when that left the bat, I looked at it. It was coming right at me. I couldn't tell, do I need to run forward or do I need to run backwards? I honestly didn't know. And so I just thought, well, I don't have time to think about it. I'll run forward. I started running as fast as I can. The ball went way over my head. I thought I'm embarrassed behind the plate, I'm embarrassed out in the field. This is my field of dreams and I'm ending up embarrassed all over the place. How do you explain that? I'll tell you how I explain it. I grew up in a little field. I grew up in this little territory. It was easy. But when you put me in a place like that, I couldn't play. And it's the same thing with the way we see papa. If you grow up and you see him, and I was taught little heart, little field, no, big heart, big field. But we get trapped in these mentalities. I couldn't see him any other way. I couldn't see a love that was wide and deep and long and high. I couldn't even see a ball like that, much less daddy. I think it has a lot to do with the field you grow up in, to be honest with you. Field, I mean, things like your home, is your mom and daddy there, your schools, your neighborhoods, whatever you do. It, I think it has a lot to do with that. So the ministers that I listened to, I mean, they just painted daddy with a small heart. And it was about a lot of messages about judgment and hellfire and brimstone. Come on, man. You ever heard those messages? And I'm sure I heard messages about the love of the father. I just don't remember them. That's why I was always afraid of the Lord. I was always running from Him. Let me show you a gentle expression of Daddy's love. And I'm going to be winding down in a minute, but I love this story. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that He was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but His disciples. So He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, Judea, Samaria, Galilee. What are your options? You can walk around to the east like the Pharisees did because they hated those Samaritans. You can get into a boat, and come up the Mediterranean Sea. But do you see what those words say? It says he had to go through Samaria. Why do you suppose he had to go? Daddy's heart. It's daddy's heart. And he was always in communication with them. And I don't know as though Jesus had to have play by play. I think when daddy said, son, tomorrow I want you to go to Galilee, but I want you to walk through Samaria. He just knew father knows best. Daddy, you, you see something, there's something there. And that's what he did it for. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sukkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, did you notice how they time-stamped it? Why is this detail in there? Well, we'll see as it continues, but they time-stamp it. It was about noon. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. She was basically saying, we're not like each other. You have kind eyes. You seem to know where you're going. I'm just running in circles that lead to nowhere. We're not like each other. There's something different about you. I can tell. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? Jesus answered her and he said, if you knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? God. Grace? What is the gift of God? Salvation? Faith? Jesus is the gift of God? What Jesus was saying when he said, if you knew the gift of God, he was literally saying, if you knew my daddy's heart, if you knew my papa's heart and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Oh, friends, daddy's love is deeper than any well and wider and longer and higher. She says, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, pointing him just back to religion, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never, oh, underscore that in your heart, will never Thirst, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus was saying, I've got an idea. I'm going to put the well on the inside of you. That's what I'm going to do. And it's going to be a gushing well because my father's love is a gushing love. That's the well. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and you have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you said is just quite true. What is Jesus doing? He's reaching deep. He's reaching wide. He's reaching long and high into the well of that Samaritan woman's soul And guess what he pulled out? Five husbands and a boyfriend. Not to condemn her, but to take away her medication. You see, she had been medicating her dark soul with her choice of drug, which was man rather than God. She had lost her freedom and her confidence, and that's why she was coming to the well at noon. She wasn't even confident among the other ladies. Jesus revealed daddy's heart to her, and the Bible says she left her bucket at the well. She traded her sorrows for a drink of living water. She left her bucket. That bucket just represented religion anyway. She left her bucket. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem now watch what he's doing can you feel the cadence can you feel the crescendo building man because he's really wanting to talk about daddy and he says woman believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews yet a time is coming has now come when the true worshipers will worship There he goes again, the Father, in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I was on my way to a speaking engagement on a Saturday morning, very early in the morning, some time ago. And as I was coming into a town, I was meditating on these scriptures that I just read, the woman at the well. And I was thinking, Daddy... The places that Jesus met people, just awesome. And as I was thinking about this narrative, I looked ahead and I could see the cars in my lane going over into the other lane. And I thought, what in the world are they doing? And the closer I got, I saw a man and a woman standing in the road, and there was something laying in front of them. And then eventually I saw, that's a person laying in the road. And all the cars are driving around these people. I stopped, and I pulled up my parking brake, and I put my flashers on, and I'm not kidding you, I stepped out of that car. I mean, like they were three months behind the rent, and I owned the road. I did. I just had such confidence in me. I felt confident in Christ. I'm just thinking about opportunities, and this manifests. I'm like, what is going on? And I walked up to the man and the woman that were standing, and I said, who is this woman? And he said, this is my mama. And I looked at him, I said, pick her up. Not really a gentle expression, really, but I said, pick her up. And he got underneath her, and he picked her up. And I didn't know what to do with her, but she wasn't looking for information. He said, today's her birthday, and she's drunk. I said, at 7.30 in the morning, yeah, she's drunk. And so I took my two hands, and I put my hands on her head like that. I didn't know what to do, so I just started praying in tongues. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like a little Chinaman for about two, three minutes. <laughs> I was, I just rattling off. Cars are going around us, I'm, I've got my eyes closed. At the same time, I'm thinking, I've got this man's mama by the head. Any second I'm waiting for a fist to come over her shoulder and just knock me out. But it didn't. And this woman is shaken under the power of the Holy Spirit, it just, just so powerfully on I mean, him. It was just so beautiful. And after I got done praying in tongues, I figured I couldn't stand there all day and pray in tongues. I got done, and I, I didn't know what to do. And I just said, Jesus! And that woman said, Jesus! And she was shaken, and I said, I said, forgive me of my sins. She said, forgive me of my sins. I said, come into my heart. She said, come into my heart. And now I opened my eyes, shaking, crying. And and then I looked back at her son standing behind her. He's shaking. He's crying. I think he prayed the same prayer, to be honest with you. And I looked at him. I said, young man, I said, did you just see what happened to your mama? He said, I felt it. I said, good. I said, now you and your mama walk off arm in arm and go home because this woman will never drink again as long as she lives. She will never touch alcohol. She has traded Jose Cuervo for Jesus Christ. And the woman at the well, she traded Jacob for Jesus. Friends, can't you see the similarity in these things? Desperate women, desperate people looking for a touch from God to come along and say, let me show you what daddy's heart looks like. I got in my car and I drove away from that. I did. And and when I was driving, I looked at my hands and I said, I said, Daddy, what, what, what was that? And he said, Son, that was my heart. Son, we did it together. And I said, Daddy, we did. We did it together. We did. He said, when others were walking and driving around her, you came to bring the wellspring of life to that woman. You came to show her what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10 all together look like. You did it. I heard Papa say, we showed that family the full extent of my love. You see, friends, again, it wasn't information that either one of these ladies were looking for. It was revelation And that revelation led to transformation because they had suddenly been established in the love of God. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, again in closing. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power. Friends, love never fails. I love how it says in one translation, love always wins. Never fails, always wins. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. I'm talking about the love that doesn't just run in circles, but is wide and long and high and deep. I'm talking about the love that picks you up out of your mess on Main Street. I'm talking about the love that doesn't embarrass you in your field of dreams. I'm talking about a love that is deeper than Jacob's well. I'm talking about the love that pastors Peter and Kathy Swart have for you and have for this church and have for this ministry and that they have for the gospel of grace. I'm talking about a love that will say, we will feed you, you and your babies, even when you show up late, we're still going to feed you. I'm talking about a love that doesn't say, get out of my face, you're bad for business. I'm talking about the love that brings wellness, and freedom, and confidence. I'm talking about the hosser love, the love that never fails. Friends, there is one source, one source only for this kind of love. It's from the heart of the Father, and I'm calling it Daddy's love. In Jesus' name, amen.